Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. spent the last two days at Lay Servant Academy in Wirtz, Virginia, which as I was talking to a couple people this morning, I didn't realize was prime Hokie Nation territory. Yeah. Steve, you just betrayed your alliance. And I figured this out because I walked into the lobby of of the building where Lay Servant Academy was being held, and there were two giant turkeys. And I looked at that, and I said, huh, they were different colors than I normally associate with giant turkeys, but they were clearly in the same image of the said giant turkeys. And over the course of my day, as I started talking to people, and they were making reference to Virginia Tech, and, and then they would say, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Crozet. And they're like, where's that? And I said, it's right outside of Charlottesville. And they would say to me, oh, you know about the University of Virginia. And I said, well, technically I went to William & Mary, but yes, I'm learning all about orange and blue. And they asked me if I wanted to bring you back one of these said large turkeys. And I said, no. I said, contrary to how I look, I really try not to create division in my congregation. And so I'm not going to bring a giant turkey back to you. And while I was there and enjoying this incredible fellowship, Lay Servant Academy is something that the Virginia Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church runs. It's an entire weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, where laity from all over the conference can come and hear keynote speakers, can encounter different worship styles led by different clergy from around the conference, and they have seminars, and they're doing their continuing education so that by the end of today, they will receive their certification, and when there is need, they can fill pulpits and preach. When uh, they go back to their home churches, they'll be able to serve, and it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. We have lay servants here who are certified, and I told this entire gathering of over 70 lay servants that my being with them taught me to be more thankful for our lay servants and how they help. And they richly bless me, which in turn is blessing all of us because without them, I would have just burnt out and incinerated myself probably a year ago. But they are a wonderful, gracious gift from God. And so I was there. I thought I was there to preach. This is actually my third sermon in 48 hours and a lot of coffee. And as I was there, I thought I was going to be there to preach because that's what I was told. And I took that literally, that I was just there to preach 8.30 p.m. on Friday. And I'm going to preach 3 o'clock on Saturday. And then I'm going to come right back here because I'm preaching at 9.30 on Sunday. And I got, I got all ready to do this. And I planned my sermons. And I was very excited about it. And then on Wednesday before I left, I got a phone call. And it's, oh, now we need you to lead a panel discussion on the new call general conference. Okay, Um, all right, I will somehow, by the grace of God and through the power of Jesus Christ manifested in the movement of the Holy Spirit, manage to do that for you. All right, (laughs) 
There's a lot of help me Jesus. And then after we worked through what that would look like, because I refused to let that look like me bringing a giant turkey back here to you, I worked through that and I thought, okay, I'm going to preach and we're going to do this panel thing and I'm coming home. And then, right as I was getting ready to leave and and make my journey in the car, I get a phone call from the coordinator of the Lay Servant Academy saying, one of our instructors has had a family medical emergency, and I need you to teach congregational care. Oh, come on! At some point, Lord, I hear people say all the time, the Lord will never give you more than you can handle. Lies. Lies. And I tried to get out of it. I was like, I don't know if I'm qualified to teach congregational care. And he said, I've talked to some people, and I think that you'll do just fine. Fine. So I've been very busy, and I'm taking Monday off. Don't call me. But it was, it was a time where you think you know right? You think you know, and then you find out something different, right? And as Christians, we have this opportunity when we encounter something flipped, we can respond several ways. We can respond with a gracious heart. I work on this a lot. With a gracious heart that says, of course, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That is not my default. Mine is more like, God, are you kidding me? I can't do this anymore. Really? I thought we were just, I was just going to come in. I was going to drop a sermon. We were all going to be like, woo, and then we were going to go home. Instead, it became a much more in-depth, um, exhausting, but also exhilarating encounter. And I had every right at any point to go, no, I'm here to do this and this. This is what I understood, and I'm done. I'm tapping out after that. But that wouldn't have been consistent with how I understand Christ not only in the scriptures, but in the church. I understand that there are times where we don't think we can do anything else and we just feel like we have to draw a line. And then sometimes, by the grace of God, we find some inner strength that God planted somewhere that I didn't know was there, and I'm able to do this work. And that is our lesson for today about spiritual truth. Spiritual truth is counterintuitive sometimes. Sometimes it seems completely irrational. Have you ever sat down and thought about all the weird things we tell people as the church? We tell people that every month, as part of our most sacred worship, we eat the body of Jesus and we drink his blood. That's why the first time the children come up, they look at that cup and they're like, I ain't touching that. I listened to you. You said there was blood in that cup. I'm taking your bread, but I don't want your cup. Because we say things, and they're not literal, right? They're not literal. Instead, we're magnifying what Jesus spoke throughout his earthly ministry when he said, I am the bread of heaven. He was not literally made out of gluten and dough. He was saying that I can feed you spiritually in a way that nothing else can. And if you continue to be fed on my words and on my ministry, then you will never be hungry spiritually again. And he said the same thing about his blood. It's not here, that would be very bizarre, drink my blood. We're not into vampirism here. That's not what we're talking about. Instead, he said that I am the Lamb of God and only my sacrifice, my blood can cleanse us for all time. 
And we have to have this epiphany moment, right? Because, I mean, over here, here's Jesus holding a lamb. We talk about it all the time. Jesus is the lamb of God. And then when I teach confirmation to teenagers and I go through the sacrificial system in Leviticus and we get to the point, I'm like, so the blood of the lamb is what cleansed the altar. And then somebody goes, that's why Jesus is the blood of the lamb. And I'm like, hallelujah. Yes. Connections are made right? They want, he, Jesus isn't literally a lamb. Bah, that's not what we're talking about. Instead, we're talking about Jesus being something more than our words can encapsulate, right? It's pointing back to something. This psalm today, and the psalms were songs. They were lyrics. So you're reading lyrics, and you know, lyrics are interpretive, right? We don't all literally live in a yellow submarine, do we? No. There's no yellow submarines out here. We're all in trouble if we all live in a yellow submarine. But nice try, Ringo. Instead, we understand that there is an interpretation that it's telling a story. There's a deeper truth than just what the words mean. This psalm has a tradition to it. Whether it's true or not, I find it very compelling, the tradition about it. It's believed to be the song that King David wrote after the prophet Nathan confronted him about his adultery and then murdering the husband of Bathsheba. David messed up big time. King David saw a woman that he wanted to have an inappropriate relationship with. He ordered her to come to him. He committed adultery with her and forced her to commit adultery with her husband. And then to fix it, to cover it up, David attempted through multiple means to have Uriah killed. Ultimately, he was successful. He sent him off into battle and put him in a place so that he, his chances of survival were minuscule and then had the army withdraw so that Uriah would die. And so Uriah's death was not from David directly attacking him, but through his power and his machinations, he killed Uriah. And God was so heartbroken over this that you would commit a sin and then you would commit more sins to cover up your sin that God sent Nathan to David to confront him, to open his eyes to what he had done. And unlike the story that the children and I were talking about, about Adam and Eve, whose eyes were opened from eating the fruit, David had eaten poisonous, sinful fruit, and his eyes were closed. All he could see was himself preserving his image, preserving his throne, and preserving what seemed to be like all the good things going on by lying, cheating, stealing, and murder. And when Nathan came to David, it is believed that after he confronted him and David heard a story, a parable about a man with a small lamb. After he heard that story, David became so upset that he said, who is this man? We need to correct him. He will repay for what he has taken. And Nathan says, you are the man. You are the man. You're the man in my story. You have taken something most precious from someone. And you have destroyed them. And so David, in that frame of reference, wrote this. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, because there's a lot to blot out. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. He goes on to say that he has sinned against God and God is justified in sentence and blameless to pass judgment. 
And he talks about that he feels like he was born guilty. And here we get to the issue of spiritual truth. Now, there are Christians across denominations who are what we would call fundamentalists. They believe that every word in the Bible is literally true, that it means what it says at face value. That's why I asked the children, do you believe that there was a talking serpent? And they didn't agree. And here's the joyful, blessed, miraculous truth. They don't have to agree here. In the United Methodist Church, you can be a fundamentalist. You can. That is not our, that is not our policy. We teach that our doctrine, in, our doctrine states that we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that there is absolutely spiritual truth in every word, even if it is not literally true. I've already given you some examples of the literal truth conundrum that happens. And so when David says, I was born guilty, he says, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. I have yet to meet a newborn that looked like a raging sinner to me. Now, I have an eight-year-old. I know what raging sin now looks like. But he didn't look like that all the time. And I don't think any of us are born just hopeless sinners. David is speaking what it feels like. It feels like I've always been driven to do the wrong thing. It feels like no matter what I do, I cave to sin and I fall prey to it and I hurt other people. I can't do the right thing. It feels like I'm unable to do this on my own. God, I need you. I need you to help me because I am ever inclined and bent to sinning. Make me straight, Lord. Straighten my path and help me find my way back to you because otherwise I'm going to keep doing these things. And you are right to judge me a sinner because I keep sinning. So help me stop. And the song goes on to say, you desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Our secret heart. As if the muscle here is not enough, right? Do we have a secret heart? Where is our secret heart? Is there literally something else? Modern science would tell us, no, I'm pretty sure John would tell me that in all of his years of surgery, he's never seen a secret heart. However, God knows that in the depths of every human being is a hole that is God-shaped that only God can fill. And we can spend our whole life trying to fill that void with wealth, with power and privilege, with all kinds of addictions with frivolous spending. We can fill it with anything we want to fill it with, but only God will fit. And David realized that. I have all the power. I have the united kingdom. Everyone honors and respects me. I have the power to take another man's wife. I have the power then to kill him to cover up my sin. And only God would have understood and known that that happened. And yet, despite all of my power and all of my wealth and all that I have, I have still failed. There is a hole within me, Lord, that only you can fill. And the psalm speaks to that truth. And then it goes on to say that if you purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Is he literally going to be whiter than snow? Of course not. David was a brown-skinned man. He was not going to be whiter than snow. I'm not, I know I look it. I am not whiter than snow. Right? It's not literal. But the point is that, in, that God is able to cleanse us of our guilt and our sin, able to cleanse us of those sinful inclinations and everything that we've ever done and make us as though we were as white as snow to God. 
God is able to cleanse us. And the problem in Christianity in the kingdom all over the world is that because we don't always agree on what is literal and what is not, people take things different ways. In fact, I'm getting ready to preach an entire worship series in September and October on things that are literally in the Bible, but whether we take them literally or not is the problem. Only I am crazy enough on my birthday to preach on why women should stay silent in churches. September 23rd, mark your calendars. Wear your best shoes. So here's the deal. Here's what is really important for us as we have a generation that is growing and hungry and thirsty for not only righteousness but knowledge and love and affirmation and their ability to take their rightful place in the church. We have to decide what kind of spiritual truth we are going to tell them. Jesus at one point says to his apostles in the gospel account of Mark, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You seen a mustard seed? I couldn't even begin to show it to you. It's so small. It's like a mustard seed. And you're thinking, but in another place, Jesus says that in my father's house, there are many rooms or many mansions. Like the, the new spiritual body I'm getting in the resurrection is this big. What is going on? No, Jesus isn't saying it's literally a mustard seed. Jesus is saying that incredible things can happen in the kingdom of God. Something as small and minuscule as a single mustard seed is capable of growing up into one of the largest shrubs in that region of the world. And it's so large and it's so incredibly strong that Jesus says birds of the air can nest in it. That something as small as one person's faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, can be grown not only into a place where others may find sanctuary and safety, but where they can call home and know that they are loved. That's the message of the mustard seed. If Jesus really wanted us to be obsessed with mustard seeds, our sacraments would look really different and very sour. That's not what the point was. The point was that Jesus is pointing to something deeper, something underneath. So how do we get there? How do I get the truth out of these words that we're hearing, some of which are thousands of years old? How am I supposed to know what it is that God wants me to know? Amen. The Holy Spirit. That's why in the United Methodist Church, we talk all the time about prayerful discernment. That's why every United Methodist Church should have at least one Bible study where people gather together and in the midst of the Holy Spirit, asking for the Holy Spirit to guide and guard them and grant them wisdom, we learn what it has to say to us today. Today. Because if we read that text tomorrow, it will sound different. And I prove this at Lay Servant Academy. I preached to them this text that was at the end of a text that I did as a Bible study with the provisionals that I'm walking with for another two years till their ordination. And I read them this text out of the book of Numbers where Moses has had it. The people just got their first taste of manna and they hate it. They don't like it. And the first thing they say after they taste manna, bread of heaven, literally, is, you know, in Egypt we had meat. We had meat in Egypt, and we get this? Are you kidding? We are not on a diet. We just marched out of slavery. And Moses says, God, I've had enough. These are not my people. I did not give birth to them. Why would you give them to me to nurse? 
They are not mine. They are yours. If this is what you wanted from me, if this is the misery that you wanted to give to me, kill me now. That's actually in the text. Kill me now. And you know what I said to those provisionals, those 18 provisionals who were looking at me like I'm psycho? I said, the day is going to come when you feel like this. You're going to do ministry, and you're going to feel like this. It's going to be a day after you've had a horrible committee meeting. No offense, it's not always committee meetings. You're going to have a bad committee meeting. Someone's going to be complaining about you. You're going to feel like people are out to get you. You don't feel inspired. You feel like everything is crashing down around you, and you're going to go, God, kill me now. Kill me now. And they're young and eager, and their eyes are all wide and sparkly, and they're not tainted yet. And they're like, that's not going to happen. I was like, it's in the Bible. And I said to them, I said, you know what? I'm going to just lay this frank for you. The best example of earthly ministry we have, the best example, is three years long and ends in death. And that was Jesus. So if you have expectations that you're going to be amazing, you need to read your Bible. Because we're not. We're not going to be amazing. Instead, God is going to be amazing through us, in us, in spite of us. But I read them that text, and at the end of it, God says, all right, so here's how I'm going to fix this. I've heard you. Be quiet. Here's how I'm going to fix this, Moses. I need you to get me 70 elders and officers over the people. Bring me 70 that you already trust, who are already committed, and you bring them to me here in my tent of meeting, and I will take a portion of the spirit that I put on you, and I'm going to spread it out to them, and they will share your burden. And I preach that to almost 70 lay servants on Saturday. Those texts and those sermons were not the same because the people were different and the day was different. But they all came from the same book of Numbers, chapter 11. And the truth is that they are both valid. They are both accurate. They are both appropriate because God guided me to that. If I had tried to preach the same sermon to the lay servants that I preached to provisional elders and deacons, that probably wouldn't have gone so well. They would have been like, we want nothing to do with this ministry thing. None. But instead, the message for them was, you are part of God's solution. You are exactly who God sends when clergy all over Virginia go, God, I can't do it alone anymore. And God says, you're not alone. I've got you. I've got you. Meet J.R. Sanders. Meet Claire Kent. We have a slightly lapsed lay servant in Doug. He's not certified right now. He's rogue. We're going to get him back in. He is nearly certified. You are going on to perfection and certification. These are the kinds of things that we have to think about in the church. Is it literally true or is there something deeper? And how do we get there? We get there together. We get there together. We don't get there off on our own. I don't go sit up in some ivory tower and go, I have all the answers. Lord knows I don't. I didn't go to Virginia Tech or UVA. I don't have them. I don't have those answers, but God does. And I know how to get to God. I know how to get to God through the scriptures. I know how to get to God through prayer. I know how to get to God together with you. I know how to get to God in worship. And we will do that because that is what we are called to do. And that is the message I want our children to hear. That is the message I want the world to hear. That the Bible, if it was only what you read, if it's literally what you read, 
then you can read it once and be done. But instead, I have read this book cover to cover over 12 times now, and it is new every day. It is never finished. Sometimes I sit around and I think to myself as I'm worship planning, I think, if I stayed here for 10 years, how am I going to make Easter new on year 10? I don't know that they're making that many bunny shoes. How are we going to do that, Lord? God goes, why don't you focus on next year first and worry about year 10 later? All right. Because it's not all on me. It's not all on you or you. It's on us with God. And we don't have to worry about these things. Sometimes we can get so caught up in being worried. Right? We worry about, you know, we've got to, we've got to build things or we've got to do things. And how are we going to do it? And, you know, I don't know that we're going to be able to do this. And God says, I think I can handle this. I did create the world. I think that I can help you get there. Have a little faith in me. I am with you. And if you stay grounded and with me, then we are going to walk this straight into the kingdom that looks like a mustard seed. We're going to do this. And so I arrived on Friday. I don't think I was dressed crazy. Maybe it was. I don't think I know how to dress normal. But I showed up there and I had, you know, some jingly shoes that had coins on them because why not? And I showed up there and people were looking at me and they were like, are you lost? No, I'm here to lead you in worship. <laughs> and so I preached to them on eight thir- at 8.30 at night, which, by the way, I don't usually preach at 8.30 at night, and here's why. Because afterwards, apparently I left them so ramped up that they couldn't go to bed. My bad. But after that worship service at 8.30 at night, so about 9.30, almost 10 o'clock at night, a woman comes up to me who had been in the praise band. The praise band had come from another church farther up north, closer to northern Virginia. And this woman comes up to me, and I'm looking at her, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm looking at here. And she says, I don't know if you remember me. And my eyes were opened. She was one of my youth group leaders. <laughs> she remembered my first sermon when I was 17. She said, Ben and I still talk about that. And I was like, how are you here? <laughs> how are you? She goes, well, you were talking about, you know, how you grew up in Flores. And, and I just, it, it occurred to me. I had a lot more hair then. She said, it occurred to me, I know who you are. And she, she ran off my parents' names and my sister's name. And I was, I was flabbergasted. And so on Saturday at 3 o'clock when I did my farewell tour, I, I got up before them and I said, let me tell you how glorious the church is because the scriptures have failed to encapsulate this literal truth. Methodism makes this world small. It makes it manageable. It makes it something where you can literally encounter somebody who is part of the world spinning in opposite on the axis and changing your life forever. She was part of the youth group that decided that I was going to preach at 17 as I was a graduating senior at the 11 o'clock worship service. They decided that that's when I would preach. And I didn't want to preach. And I said, no. And guess what they said? You're doing it anyway. And my parents, unfortunately, raised me to respect my elders. So I did it. And I, and I, told, I told all those people, and I'm telling you now, it was garbage. It was a bad sermon. I will never give it to you. It was terrible. 
It was not good. I, I, I look at it now and I'm like, oh, the theology, doctrinally, it, no. And I had a manuscript, and you know how I am when I read from manuscripts. It's painful. And I said, and it was a bad sermon. But it was the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament that said, your sons and daughters will prophesy. It's the fulfillment of Galatians that says, in Christ there is no male or female. It was the fulfillment of words that were written long before there was a United States of America in which I was born, long before I was ever born, that said that there would be a place for someone like me to be of use to the kingdom. That is spiritual truth. And when people heard the prophets, and when they heard Paul speak those words the first time, they went, and Paul's a little weird. Prophets, they're always saying weird things. You can never tell what's literal and what's metaphorical. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit allowed it to get recorded. And so now when people say to me, I don't think women should be clergy, I say, I don't see you standing up here. Because at the end of the day, this isn't about me having two X chromosomes. This isn't about our children being too young to do something. At the end of the day, this is about who is willing to be a vessel of God. And that has no distinction. No age requirement, no educational requirement. It has no limitations based upon your gender, your orientation, your skin color, your shoe height. It is all about your secret heart. Are you willing to let God fill your secret heart so that this world may look more and more like what God created it to be? And if we are willing to do that, then we don't have to fight this battle about literalism anymore. We'll let it roll off our backs like water. We will continue to focus on what is most important, and that is our God and loving our neighbors. And that is literally what Jesus said. Thanks be to God for the gift of the Holy Spirit who will give us what we need to know and help us bring it to fruition. May it be so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.